Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Father, we ask your blessings on this meeting today, that everybody will be edified, that everybody will learn something about how to go through troubles and tribulations, and how to deal with uh, principalities and powers. And uh, thank you so much, Father, for doing this. Amen. Okay, we're going to call this uh, Walk in Heavenly Places by Faith, number six. The first article we're going to share is um, Our Enemies Are Made Tiny. Marie Kelton, 8723. During the meeting, I was dealing with anxiety, and Ned had an open vision of a big scorpion, which I believe represents fear, attacking my spirit man. I then saw the Lord Jesus, and he was really big. The Lord picked up the scorpion, and it was really small in his hand. See, it's not a big problem for the Lord. It's a big problem for us. So we need to lean on the Lord, right? The Lord crushed the scorpion. Yes, he does. The enemy always wants us to think that he's bigger than he is. Well, we need to remember the truth and how Jesus already destroyed our enemies at the cross. And he has given us authority to plunder his kingdom and take our promised land. Luke chapter 11, 21 through 23 says, When the strong man fully armed guardeth his own court, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, that was Jesus, right? You overcame the devil. He taketh from him his whole armor wherein he trusted. He has no armor. And divideth his spoils. There you go. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. You either gather the spoils, you either plunder the devil, or he is going to scatter you. That's what um, scorpions do. They cause people to move out of the way. Scorpions will attempt to cause us to scatter, to run in fear. But we must fight and make war against them. I had another open vision of me sitting next to the Lord in heaven. He was huge. But I was also huge. Well, we need to see ourselves as seated in heavenly places, uh, which is, of course, abiding in Christ. Okay, you got to see yourself there. Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. 
Abide in Jesus. That's heavenly places. First John 4 and 4 says, You are of God, my little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Greater. Remember that. He is in you, and he is greater than anything out there. And verses 17 and 18, it says, Herein is love made perfect with us, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, even so are we in this world. Did you hear that? Think about that. As he is, even so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath punishment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Amen. The Lord then passed the scorpion from the vision above to me, which was really tiny in my hand. I knew he wanted me to crush it. That's exactly right. Calling on the Lord to do it is not what we're called to do. We're called to do it for him. We are to plunder the devil's kingdom. We have authority to do it. Luke 10 and 19, Behold, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Never fear. Anything the devil throws at you, never fear. Philippians 4 and 13 says, I can do all things in him that strengtheneth me. In Psalm 18 and 34, He teacheth my hands to war, so that my arms do bend a bow of brass. That's his strength, right? Psalm 144, a good number. Verse 1, a psalm of David. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Ask the Lord to teach you to fight. Don't lay down and roll over. He'll slaughter you. Okay, Lost Keys Found, Samuel Fire, 2022. I lost my car keys, and I searched everywhere I could for them. I searched everywhere, including the stop the wash cycle in the washing machine, and put all the clothes out, and I still couldn't find them. I then spoke to Tiana about it, and she said, Go and ask God where they are, because He knows. So I stopped, calmed down, and prayed, and not long after, I insisted that I heard birds say, In the washing, in the washing, <laughs> but because I had already looked in the washing machine, I was confused. So being obedient, I went and looked there again, but this time I felt to look in the lint rubber guard. And there they were. Praise God. And his comment is always seek him and he will help you and we can do anything in our own strength. Anything you lose, ask him to show it to you. Ask the angels next to you to show it to you. Yeah. And this one we called, He Passed Out Twice. Tiana Fire, 12, 30, 22. 
I went to the toilet and I heard a loud thud. And I ran to the kitchen and Samuel had passed out and fallen face down on the tiles. I tried to speak with him, but he was unresponsive for a while. But then he was able to get up. But he had no knowledge of what had happened or why or where he was or what he was doing. He couldn't remember much long-term stuff or short-term and uh, kept forgetting things around every 30 seconds. All day and for some of the next day, he would ask the same basic questions repeatedly many times, such as, Where are we? What age is our son? What year is it? Why isn't he in pain? Hmm. He seemed to have forgotten so much and couldn't remember anything. A few days after his memory returned to normal, he still couldn't remember what happened and the day of him passing out. This was a big trial of my patience with uh, being kind in having to answer the same questions repeatedly over and over uh, every 30 seconds or so and helping Samuel to do uh, things. It was also a big trial with uh, battling fear and giving in to sight because he wasn't remembering and was extremely confused and had physical pain in his head and throughout his entire body. Brethren prayed for us, and um, praise God, after that I had an abundance of joy come over me. And I was able to be joyful and thankful to our Father for this situation. And with God's grace, it was so much very uh, easier, I would say, to be patient and kind in having to answer the same questions over and over. I was able to laugh in a joyful, loving way with God creating this situation because I have prayed before for God to give me the gift of patience. Amen. Patience in your faith, folks, is powerful. You will lack nothing. So after that grace of joy, God gave me faith to just continue doing the normal things that we usually do And it was easier to just ignore the physical symptoms. And quite often, that's true. By God's grace, Jesus, through Samuel, even drove us to the shop. And even though Samuel didn't know the directions, despite having driven there many times, uh, then we can count, and that it was only three streets away. (laughs) He didn't even remember any of this day. By God's grace, I didn't receive the enemy's thoughts or fear of Samuel fainting while driving or something going wrong. But I wanted to just believe that God was in control and that Jesus had healed Samuel and to continue our normal day. That Samuel was healed at the cross and he could drive us to the shops. It was all God. The whole day Samuel was asking the same questions over and over, about every 30 seconds. And the next day wasn't as bad, 
and his memory was a little better, although he still didn't remember much and was asking the same questions. I ended up writing down the answers to all of the questions he kept asking so he could just keep reading the whiteboard and get the answers. Around every 30 seconds to a minute, he would reread the whiteboard and have funny expressions because he was confused and shocked at the answers because he couldn't remember. For example, he couldn't remember that our son is around a year of age as he thought he was only a few months old. And when he read our son uh, is a year old, he would have a shock reaction. And it was pretty funny. God is so awesome. The next day, Samuel passed out again in the morning. And then in the afternoon, he passed out again while he was in the other room praying upstairs. I heard the loud thump, and I ran over to him, and he was lying on his back on the ground. He had smashed his head on the drawers as they had been moved and parts of it broken, and then fell on the ground. Samuel's eyes were open, staring but not moving, and I tried to speak with him, but he didn't respond for about 30 seconds. He then was able to respond, but he was really confused as to where we were and why, and why I was there as he thought that years had gone by, and and we were living in a completely different life, and he had uh, and he had a vision. Samuel was in a lot of physical pain, and the brethren prayed for us, and the physical pain left minutes later. He improved much quicker this time, and a little later his memory returned that he had of the vision and of the details of it started to come back to him. The following day his memory was almost back to normal, apart from not remembering the first day when he fainted and he was physically better. Praise our God. So, all glory to our incredible, faithful Father. Thank you, Lord, that you are in control and everything is for your glory and praise. Yes, and we can count on our prayers being answered and not walking by sight. Amen. Okay, here's one. Demons trying to cause to stumble. Anonymous 52923. I had been battling dizziness for about a week and I had it again uh, just a while ago. So I went to look up on the internet possible reasons why I could be dizzy. I don't recommend that. <laughs> I then heard two demons speaking with each other and they were saying how they have been trying to get me to wonder and question why I have this dizziness, and to then look it up. So that was their idea, right? And I realized that when I begin to question why I am doubting God and giving in to unbelief, which then gives them a legal right to afflict me more. When I search online looking things up of possible causes, I am trusting man 
and the flesh, and this also allows them to continue these attacks. I knew then, uh, if I just stand in faith, trusting God and knowing that He is in control, uh, when I overcome questioning God, doubt, worry, and giving in to the lying symptoms, then it will all go away, and the devils can no longer afflict me. They can only afflict me when I give them a legal right. True. And after getting this revelation, I had doubt that what I saw was real, and my flesh still wanted me to look up what could be causing the dizziness. I paused thinking for a few moments on what I should do as my flesh really wanted to know why I could be dizzy in uh, the physical, carnal terms. Of course, they want you to read all those things and you turn paranoid after reading all that stuff and think, oh no. Then God spoke to me so clearly and He said, are you really going to still do that knowing it's fallen angels wanting you to do it? Yeah, that's right. I closed the tab got off my phone. I want to stop wondering why I'm having these symptoms and just rest because God is in control. Well, amen. And God gave her the victory through the rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we call this eight-day deliverance. Dama Loftus. And she wrote this to Michael. You said to send in testimonies that pertain to the angels or the word of the Lord. Well, this is mine that came by word of the Lord. I did not get the email about fasting for the eight days. So when I heard about it later uh, on the podcast, I was very disappointed and grieved. But God used this to help motivate me into action. So I did some fasting and drew near to God, and He delivered me from overeating. I'm just not hungry like I used to be. I've lost some weight, and I'm drawing much closer to the Lord. He also gave me a vision of a body of water and a cross submerged into the water about three-quarters of the way down which I believe he was showing me the water of his word devouring the curse in my life. Also, a word I got from the Lord was, Stand, guard, and see the salvation of the King. Hallelujah. Amen. There's victory in these things. Good advice being given here. And we call this Father Confirms Spiritually and Physically Job Status. This is Isaac Payne's Revelation from 731.22. I wanted to share a testimony that happened to me that was quite miraculous. I'll start with the events that led up to this testimony. For some time now, I have been overburdened with my job. I say this not to complain, 
but with the hope of using the situation to glorify Father. However, my role and responsibility at work was has dramatically increased, and my compensation has not. Compensation is not something I really think about, uh, thank God. Seeing what John the Baptist said to the soldiers, Luke 3 and 14, And the soldiers asked him, saying, And we, what must we do? And he said unto them, Extort from no man by violence, neither accuse anyone wrongfully, and be content with your wages. Well, back to the responsibilities. There are different levels of engineering reaching up to a senior level engineer, which is a level 5 role. I am at a level 2, but doing a level 3 and 4 job. This role uh, requires supervising installation in integrators, ordering parts, building the electrical schematics, designing the PLC code, and human-machine interface, leading the project, collaborating with the contractors and the client, and traveling to site to commission and implement uh, the equipment to the customer and perform acceptance testing. Quite a job. Other projects of this type of scope will have about 15 people to help. But in these projects, it has been just me. Hmm. Father placed me in this job right as COVID was hitting in the United States. Um, the, this job has been wonderful for me spiritually, especially being on the road and experiencing my own personal wilderness and Father using this to put to death the old man. The last few months, I've been thinking that my time was done at this position. Traveling for extended periods of time are hard on my, on my family, and it's very hard to leave and say bye to the kids as they cry wanting me to stay home. And Mariana and I have been praying that Father would reveal to me what I should do concerning my job. During that time, I had multiple dreams confirming to me that my time was done at this job. And I, I wasn't being hasty because I can say Father has given me the strength to endure uh, during my tenure here at this company. I'll keep the dreams very brief and explain the summary. In one dream, I was running a road race. I believe it was a 5K road race. There were other runners in the race, but for some reason, I didn't see them. I was racing against myself as I was my own competition. I was competing against my previous PR, personal record. I remember uh, running as hard as I could, thinking that if I slowed down, my old PR would beat me. So I finished the race in first place. 
So I believe this is saying, you know, that he is going to come out on top uh, in his going to another job. I was really surprised because I didn't expect first place. I just wanted a new PR. I then saw my mile split on a teleprompter, and it was one mile in four minutes and 40 seconds. 144. Wow, I thought that was great. My coach in the dream then contacted me, wanting to congratulate me and share the success with the rest of the team. That's interesting, arriving at 144. Mm -hmm. To my surprise, my boss at work was my coach. And then I woke up. I had the previous dream months ago. I personally did not want to leave my job because I was still a bit ambitious. I wanted to finish the job that I was the project lead of, and uh, I wouldn't be done with that job until November. Mariana and I were still believing as we had prayed, and I was asking for another dream to really confirm it. I was still hesitant to leave my job and wanted a little more confirmation. I then had another dream. In this dream, I was in a men's warehouse clothing store. I actually commissioned sorters and conveyor systems in distribution warehouses. There were lots of very nice clothing in this shop, although I only remember seeing black dress suits. I came into this shop wearing a blue tie and another tie, but I'm not exactly sure the color of the second tie, maybe gold. So I asked the tailor what my ties were worth and if I could trade them in. And he told me that they were worth $5. There was a yellow tie behind the tailor that was for sale. And I asked him how much for the yellow tie. He said $6. So I traded my blue tie for the yellow tie. I always traded in the other tie as well. Uh, I also traded in the other tie as well, possibly for a pinkish colored tie. I'm not sure exactly about the second tie. And then I woke up, and when I woke up, immediately the verse came to my mind, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, that's the blue tie, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and the burden is light. I knew instantly that the blue tie was his heavenly yoke of grace, which is why it was $5. And the yellow tie I was exchanging it for was caution. And the yoke of man, 
Hence, it was worth $6. I have been knowing lately that this job has been interfering with my relationship with Father. After these dreams, I still had the same plan to continue finishing my project until November and then start to look for another job. I really wanted the accolades of being the lead and the stature of completing such a massive multi-million dollar project on my resume. I was still pursuing my own goals within the company and that I work for. Weeks later, I was getting ready to travel to San Francisco to commission another sorter at a distribution warehouse. Mariana and the kids had still been asking me to quit my job for some time. I really wasn't looking forward to going to San Francisco to work and be so far from my family. The night before I was to travel to San Francisco, Mariana and I prayed and asked Father to give me a definite, a definitive dream so I could just know when to quit my job. I don't have a backup plan, and I have never left a job without having another job lined up. I woke early in the morning and did not even have a dream, so I was headed to San Francisco to work. Mariana and the kids dropped me off at the airport around 5.45. I was waiting in line to check in my baggage. I was feeling very burdened about leaving my family and traveling for work. I know better than to trust my feelings, as feelings and the soulish realm can be deceptive. I came to my mind the prayer David Eels prayed when his family had no food. Lord, fill our plates or fill our tummies. I just said a similar prayer. I said, Lord, either change my attitude or get me out of this job immediately. I continued and gave my bags to the airport associates and went through TSA and made it to my gate uh, waiting to board the plane. I'm not going home now, or so I thought. I was about time, or it was about time, to board my flight and... I, I was group one boarding, which means I would be the first group of passengers to board. As the hostess called for group one boarding, I had to use the restroom. I arrived back at boarding, and it was group three or four, I'm assuming, I was in line, and it was almost time to give my boarding ticket and the board the plane. There was only one person in front of me, and at this point there were probably around 30 or more people who had already boarded the flight, and another 30 or 40 behind me waiting to board. The hostess received a, a phone call. 
She told the other hostesses to let the guy in the front of me board the plane, but then stop boarding with me. Hmm. I was the very next person to board. I was in the very front of the line. I waited in the front of the line for about 10 to 15 minutes, and I asked the lady what happened. She said, the captain has told us to stop boarding. (laughs) I expected such a vague reason, but uh, still figured I'd ask. I thought the reason was probably an unhappy passenger causing a commotion. It then dawned on me that maybe Father is answering my original prayer. That I prayed uh, the baggage check in. Lord, change my attitude or get me out of this job immediately. Ah, good idea. For some reason, I just spoke another prayer out of my mouth. I don't even think the prayer was me or my thoughts. It just happened. I said as I was waiting, Father, if this is you, make all these people who boarded the plane exit the plane right now in Jesus' name. Right at that moment, I could hear shuffling back up the plane ramp, and to my surprise, people were exiting the plane. (laughs) You think God can't give you a sign? Okay. Where I was standing, you could not see the ramp as it descends and turns. People came walking around the corner from the plane, returning to the gate. About 30 or 40 people walked down the ramp. And I prayed the prayer, and it was in Father's hands. But it happened so fast, I was still surprised and astonished. At that point, the hostess grabbed the microphone and said, Ladies and gentlemen, the flight has been canceled due to a mechanical failure. The landing gear is defective. And we do not have the parts at the airport to correct the issue. If you would have looked at me, my jaw was probably dropping to the floor in amazement. (laughs) I said to the hostess, Can I grab my bags and just leave the airport and go back home? She said, Sure. Go back to baggage, check in, and they will grab the bags off the plane. I went back to baggage check-in and was waiting in line to receive my bags. I called Mariana and told her to come pick me up. Her and the kids were thrilled. (laughs) As I was still uh, waiting in line for my bags, I began to talk to a gentleman waiting in line with me. He also was on the same flight and was going to go back to his house. I shared this testimony with him, and he was astonished as well. He even said something along the lines of, God is trying to show you something. (laughs) Yes. As we continued to talk, he told me that he is a job recruiter. 
another sign, right? He gave me his contact info and told me to call him. Again, my jaw was literally dropping. Mariana and the kids picked me back up, and a few hours later, I put in my resignation. For the record, I'm not suggesting people just quit their jobs, but this is what Father was doing with me. And I was certainly in a a place of weakness, but a place where Father would give me a measure of His faith. Amen. I also wanted to state this. As I initially got home and laid back in bed, fear began to come over me. I was thinking to myself, just grab a plane tomorrow and fly back out there. You can put your two weeks' notice in on the road. Other thoughts of, Isaac, you have bills and mortgage. What if you can't find a job and you and the family go homeless? My thoughts began to come to me and uh, try to reason with me. This always happens, folks, always. The devil's trying to talk you out of trusting in God and resting and watching him answer prayer. Even so much as to try to convince me that what had just happened really wasn't much of a miracle. (laughs) I would say it was. Maybe uh, you're looking too deep into this and leading yourself away. However, I have the mind of Christ, and these are not my thoughts and neither are they Christ's thoughts. (laughs) So I talked to Mariana, and she said, Isaac, you can't go back. How much more obvious does it need to be to get you to listen to God? She went on to say, Isaac, think of Jonah. If you go back, they will have to throw you off the plane to keep it from crashing. (laughs) Do you want to be swallowed up by a giant bird? She was right. I had to get out of bed and not let my mind be idle. I sat down and began to read the Word and just keep reading. Yeah, He will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Thee. If you're getting distracted, read the Word, listen to the Word, whatever. Romans 10 and 17, So belief cometh of hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. I knew I now needed to put my resignation in so I wouldn't be tempted to go backwards on faith. Hebrews 10 and 38 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So I put in my resignation, and my boss had me call him immediately, and he tried to convince me otherwise. Less responsibilities? Obviously, this is an offer, right? And such. His name is Muhammad, and he is a Muslim. Maybe that's why they were overloading him. I told him the miracle that Father had done for me, and I needed to acknowledge God in front of man. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, 
who is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him also will I deny before my Father who is in heaven. I needed to act on this swiftly, and did, thanks be to God. I realized that while initially battling with this myself, how people in the Bible, even those who physically were there and witnessed miracles that God did, could over time quit believing and talk themselves out of it. I knew I had to stay in the Word, speak it over my life, think on it throughout the day, and cast thoughts down. I have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Within a month after the miraculous departure from my previous job, where I traveled excessively, I received three job offers. I had no income for the month, so he was on vacation, (laughs) and had many bills to pay. I was just walking out my faith because the Lord showed His strong hand at the airport. He sure did. In all my professional career, I can tell you that I've never been so pursued by so many companies or job recruiters. It was at the point where I would just tell them on the phone I wasn't interested. It was awesome because the Lord gave me favor, and it seemed more like I was the one doing the interviewing of the companies. All glory to God as He pours His favor on His children. Concerning the three job offers, I didn't know which job to choose. I asked the Lord for a dream, and I received the two dreams. In one dream, it showed my future at a food manufacturing company in which I would be in charge of three plants concerning controls and automation. In the dream, it was uh, I was taking a call in the middle of the night because they needed me to come back into work all through the night, even though it was a day shift job. I was frustrated in the dream. Doesn't sound like that's the job. In the other dream, another company that offered me a job was a Japanese automotive manufacturer. In this dream, I was looking at the equipment, but wasn't familiar with it. However, I was not frustrated or pressured. I just needed to learn this foreign equipment. Within the week, I was talking to a brother of mine in Christ named Justin. As I was talking to him, he was going to a kid's baseball game and randomly parked behind a Mitsubishi automobile. That was the name of the Japanese automotive manufacturer that offered me the job. (laughs) He said, Isaac, There aren't a lot of Mitsubishi cars that I have seen, but I think this is a confirmation. That's when I knew to make my decision and go with Mitsubishi. 
And also Mitsubishi came back with an offer that superseded what I was originally making by around 60%. The job recruiter told me that they have never offered this much before and had to present the wages to the president of the company for approval. And sure enough, he signed off and hired me as a top-level engineer. I didn't know that there were levels of engineering in this role, and never once did the company and I even discuss such matters. What is amazing about this is that I, I never even tried to bargain or counter about wages. I just wasn't thinking about money. I just was wanted to be home with my family. I'm still at Mitsubishi, and they have been so patient with me, offering all kinds of training to me as a as I get caught up with their equipment that I was not familiar with. And what's cool is my boss is also a Christian and has shown a lot of favor towards me. He has told me many times, I believe God sent you here. Thank you, Father. You've done it all, literally everything. Well, I would say, yes, that seems to be pretty true. (laughs) So don't ever fear to make a bold statement of faith. You may think, well, is this God? Don't worry about it. If it's to meet your need, if it's to overcome the curse, don't worry about it. I remember once when I called uh, Sid, a friend of mine, and we were talking about what happened the time that my washing machine seal had gone out. Sand had gotten in it and ruined the seal. Sid had volunteered at that time and said, Oh, I have a friend who works on these things. I'll get him to come by there and get it. So I said, okay. So he came by and he picked it up and took it off. And Sid called me back a few days later. He said, look, he fixed this and he fixed that and it'll just cost you $70. I said, fine. Bring it on over. Well, I knew Sid was coming over the next day to drop off the washing machine, and I only had $20. And so I prayed a prayer. I said, Father, you said you would supply my every need according to your riches and glory, and I thank you for it. Then I stuck my finger out And I pointed at the mailbox, and I said to Mary, In the name of Jesus, $50 is coming in that mailbox today. Do you know I went out to that mailbox, and there was $50 in that mailbox in a check. And there was a note, and it read, God wouldn't let me go to sleep. It's now after midnight, and God wouldn't let me go to sleep until I sent you this check for $50.
And the funny thing was, I don't ever look at post dates, but I looked at the post date on the check, and the thing had been sent two weeks before this day, a full two weeks before this day, when I stuck my finger out and pointed at the mailbox. Hmm. That envelope had been hung up in the mail somewhere for two weeks, wandering around, and it didn't make it into that mailbox until the right time. I said today. Yeah. But God wouldn't let this poor guy sleep until he went out there and wrote the check and stuck it in the mail, even though it wandered around in the mail. I don't know what the reason for it was, but it didn't come there until it was time for it to be there. So God answers before we call, Isaiah 65 and 24. Do you realize that? God does not dwell in time, but we do. He, see, he knows far ahead of time what's going to be needed. You can say, right now, today and point at your mailbox. And he would have already started it two weeks ago. You see that? So don't think it's too late for you to claim something uh, because God starts on time to finish on time, but he's not in time. That's why he can do it. (laughs) So don't think it's too late because it's never too late for God. God has the answer coming when you speak it. And I've seen the biggest miracles happen when a bold statement of faith is made. The devil is telling you all the time, nah, 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 in your ear, saying, boy, you're going to look like a fool, but God won't let you be put to shame. The Bible says that he won't let you be put to shame, Romans 9 and 33, and other places. Anybody who puts their trust in Him shall not be put to shame, the Lord says. Romans 10 and 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You need to actually say it. Notice, confession is made unto the salvation. Whatever the saving thing is, you have to confess it. So, that was an education for me because there have been other times when I just prayed over a leaking washing machine seal and God sealed it up. Yeah. So, But God wanted to do something else this time. And there have been times when I've prayed over a carburetor and God fixed it. Then there have been times when I decided I would take that carburetor off and fix it Like uh, one time with my daughter's car when an enemy had put sugar in her gas tank. (laughs) Everybody knows it goes all through your system and it settles in your system and you just, you're out. It's a mess. It's a mess. I took the carburetor off and I tore it down. I didn't tear nothing else down. I didn't tear the lines down. I didn't open the tank up. I didn't do anything. Okay. That's very unusual. Okay. That usually does not work. So I took a carburetor off and I tore it down. 
and I'm not bad at working on carburetors. I used to race a little bit myself and build cars and stuff like that. So I tore it down, checked it out, cleaned it up, and put it back in. But it did the same thing. That's probably not unusual either. There's tiny little ports in there, you know, that could get plugged up uh, because the sugar usually goes through there and then it crystallizes in there, you know. But it did the same thing. So I took it back out. I wasn't, it wasn't easy to get out either, but I took it out and went back through it. I said, nothing's wrong with this carburetor on this car. That's what I said. Nothing is wrong with this car. I don't see a thing wrong with this carburetor. And I put it back in, but it still did the same thing. Finally, the revelation came to me of the devil is messing with you. He's robbing your time. And so I rebuked the devil off of that carburetor. I commanded the devil to loose it. Do you know that there doesn't have to be something wrong with a piece of equipment for it to malfunction? The devil can do it himself. They used to call them gremlins in the military. The Lord showed me that many times. Do you know that was probably witchcraft being sent by the enemy to their planes when they had those problems? I can almost guarantee it. So the Lord showed me that many times, and there doesn't have to be anything wrong with a piece of equipment. The devil is real, and he can manifest himself in this realm, and he can take advantage of you until you take the Word of God and fight him. He could take advantage of you. He was doing that to me. He robbed my time twice to fix their carburetor. And you know what? Just because you don't see something manifest immediately doesn't mean it hasn't happened. The Bible says, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them, it's past tense, and you shall have them. Mark eleven twenty four. So I commanded that carburetor to be healed in the name of Jesus. Then Deborah went and got in the car. But when she cranked it up, it was doing the same thing. I said, just go. It's healed. She said before she got to the end of the street, it straightened right out and never had another problem with it. <laughs> okay. Before the end of the street wasn't far away. You know, sometimes you have to walk it. If you believe it, you need to confess it and walk it. And that's what she did. She got in the car and drove it. And that's what I told her to do. I sure didn't want my daughter to break down in that car halfway across town or whatever. But I had faith and I just said it. It's like the ten lepers who were doing uh, according to the law, Luke 17 and 12. They had to go show themselves to the priest healed as in Leviticus 14. But when they were walking, they weren't healed. It didn't come to, until they walked it out that they got healed, Luke 17 and 14. 
So you have to walk it out. Faith without works is dead. So when they walked to show the situation to the priest, they were healed. Now they would have looked silly, of course. They showed up at the priest and they still had the problem. And I'm sure the devil told them that. But they knew Jesus. They had probably watched him do miracles and decided, nah, we're going to do it his way. So faith without works is dead, James 2.17. Just remember that some of Jesus' miracles didn't happen immediately. And he didn't even pray twice. We are disciples of Jesus now. We can't see him, but we're walking with him. And he wants to take us by the hand and show us the way through every problem and situation. And so uh, it's already been provided for at the cross. You don't have to worry about it. It says in Scripture, My God shall supply every need of yours. Philippians four nineteen. It doesn't matter what the need is. Why did Paul say that? He said that because he knew it was taken care of at the cross. The curse was put upon Jesus. You can't imagine what this would be like if there was no curse. Can you imagine what it was like in the Garden of Eden with tomato plants growing 20 feet tall? Everything working, nothing breaking, everything you without the curse, you know? including you, without the curse. And now I realize nobody is totally entered into whatever this means about being delivered from the curse, but individually God's people are entering into different parts of it, and each part that they have, they can exercise their faith and share it with others, and they can believe. The body needs one another because sometimes other people have faith that we don't have in a situation that we're in, and we need to pray for people and exercise our faith over one another. But don't think it's not possible. We're going to see God do things in the next few years, and I would say in the next year, that we would have considered impossible. Uh, We've already had some that people considered impossible. You know, like the pump and the motor and the line being fixed it wasn't possible. So that we would have just wondered, is that real? And people think, are you crazy? Did that really happen? Yeah, too many witnesses. <laughs> yes, God's going to do things that we haven't seen, and this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this outpouring of power, has never been on this earth that God's getting ready to do. People are going to walk on water again. They've done it in these days, in these years. I don't know if any of you ever read uh, Like a Mighty Wind or The Gentle Breeze of Jesus. They are about the Indonesian revival where many people, many people saw people walk on water. It was, of course, to spread the gospel. Those little islands out there were uh, where were they were trying to get the gospel to. In some cases, it was the only method. 
It was necessary. And they didn't let the circumstance stop them from doing the will of God. The will of God was to go. And so they went. They didn't let the circumstance get in the way. They walked on the water. And there were a lot of people who saw it. Yes, the day is coming when you may have to drive a car that doesn't have any gas in it. I've done it quite a few times, and it works. When you're going by faith, it works. Or you may have to command some gas into that car, and God put some in it. I've had that happen, too. He's done that for me. So, don't let circumstances stop you. There were people uh, who walked up to the edge of their little island to go walk to the next island and didn't have any faith, and they stepped off the bank, and they fell in the water. (laughs) There were other people that just stepped out there and kept on walking, like Jesus and Peter, and they walked to the other island. Remember, Peter made the mistake of looking down and paying attention to the wind and the waves, and um, he started to sink. He looked at the circumstances. So circumstances didn't stop Jesus from doing the will of God. Did you notice that? It's the same Jesus that we have our faith in. Faith may become effectual in the knowledge of every good thing which is in you. Philemon 6. Wait a minute. He was talking to the saints here. People on this earth. That's right. But that's Jesus Christ in the heart of the believer. He has all the power that he ever had. But if you limit him, you won't let him speak that word out of your mouth. You won't walk that walk with your feet. You won't do those things. So this is not the most important thing in the world that I'm talking about. The most important thing, of course, is to overcome sin. And you can confess that too. We've studied that. You have to. You have to reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. Reckon it. Consider it done. And alive unto God. So, we've already studied that, but right now, we're talking about not limiting God and seeing just how big He is. It doesn't matter what your need is. God has promised to meet your need. Do I say that you won't be tried? Absolutely not. You're going to be tried. How do you get tried? By lack. You get tried by lack. God suffered the Israelites to lack so that He might know what they would do. Were they going to stand on His Word, believe His Word? That was Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. What are you going to do when you lack? Do you never get sick? Well, usually no. Uh, You get sick sometimes. But the Bible says, by His stripes you were healed. 
1 Peter 2.24. If you were healed, you are healed. It's a trial of your faith. God's wanting to see what are you going to do with this, as we just read. We're being tried. We're going through the wilderness, just like the Israelites went through the wilderness. When they went through the wilderness, they suffered lack in this kind of a way, and then in that kind of a way, and then in this other kind of a way, and God answered miraculously. What was all the testing about? Testing. (laughs) Right now, the righteous, just like always, shall live from faith. Galatians 3 and 11. The life of faith is an exciting walk with the Lord. You'll see many miracles. If you walk the walk of faith, that's our purpose for being here, by the way. God considers a person who walks by faith and speaks faith and uses faith in circumstances that they get in to be righteous. It's the best kind of a person to send out. They're going to prove their faith to people. He calls them righteous, like Abraham, when he believed God about his seed. Amen? That didn't have anything to do with salvation. God called Abraham righteous because he believed God in that point. And you know what? God calls you righteous every time you believe the Word of God. Every time you believe in the prayers that you've prayed, Whenever you pray believing, you have received, Mark eleven twenty four, And when you keep on holding on to that in faith until you see it manifested, then God calls you righteous. So it could be a long-term trial, but it could be a very short-term trial, like the washing machine thing and others. So, but uh, when you boldly speak it, that's the way you see miracles. And miracles are not just a healing or a gradual thing. They're usually something more sudden. So look at it as if Jesus is talking you, taking you by the hand, and He's going to show you something tomorrow. He's going to do a miracle through you tomorrow, big or small. He's going to show you how to walk by faith. Jesus walked by faith. His disciples walked by faith. People who are in the world are under bondage, but people who walk by faith are not under that bondage. When Jesus sent out His disciples, He told them, don't take anything with you. Don't take any money. Well, now that'll put the test on you, won't it? Matthew 10 and 9 and 10 and Luke 10 and 4. He sent them out in total weakness. And later he asked them, Well, when I sent you out without all these things, did you lack anything? And their answer was, No, Lord. They didn't lack anything. Luke 22 and 35. They found out what it was to walk by faith. They didn't need to bring their own supply. Because God was there already, and He already knew that you would be there. (laughs) He did it on purpose. 
Now, in this day, the church is supposed to be doing the same thing. If you obey what Jesus said, you'll be weak because Jesus made some statements in uh, that he put you in a position of weakness. But every time that you've read it, you're going to see miracles. Okay. When you obey the principles of Jesus, you're going to see miracles because you're always in a position where you can't do it. You can't handle it. He does that on purpose. Matthew 14, 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came unto them walking upon the sea. Hmm. And when the disciples saw this walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Verse 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the waters. And he said, Come. And Peter went down from the boat and walked upon the waters to come to Jesus. Only one word was spoken, and he acted on it. But when he saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Well, that word save is the word sozo. By grace, have you been saved through faith? You've already been saved. God doesn't dwell in time. He did for you everything from beginning to end back there at the beginning. And of course, this is Ephesians 2 and 8. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and took hold of him and saith unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were gone up into the boat, the wind ceased. And when they were gone up into the boat, the wind ceased. And they that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. But look, You know, the Lord saved Peter here, even in his failure, didn't he? Every trial is from God. Every trial. God is sovereign. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. John 3 and 27. A man can receive nothing except it have been given him from heaven. The circumstances that you get in are not by accident. There's no such thing as an accident or luck. That's for the pagans to believe in. While Peter took his eyes off Jesus and saw the wind, then he judged by the circumstances instead of judging by the word. If we would have judged by the word when the Almighty God said, Come, then Peter must have been able to do it since He said, Come. 
That's the way we have to look at these promises. We must be able to do it because he said it. It's really simple. Peter believed that Jesus said it. He'd be able to do it. And he stepped out of the boat. But then he got his eyes on the circumstances, as we said. You always get fearful when you get your eyes on the circumstances. Because you don't have any hope. You know your history. You know when you've gotten in this kind of a situation before and failed, right? So get your eyes on the Savior. You can walk on water when you get your eyes on the Savior. So listen, the laws of faith are totally above the laws of nature. They're always above the laws of nature. We just can't fathom how God could do some of these things. But He can. He does it with no problem. We can't fathom how the lot can come up like it does. Can you think about flipping a quarter up in the air and it coming down exactly the way God wants it to come down? I had a a young man here who I told to go back home. I told him the Lord told me to tell him to go back home. I said, you can ask the Lord if you want for a sign so you know. He flipped 25 times, all heads in a row, and then stopped. He was convinced. He took the trip. Okay? So God wants it to come down. He wants um, it to come down the way He wants it to and the way you want it to. The lot worked. So go back and study it. The lot worked. Why? That wasn't gambling because they believed in a sovereign God. Not gambling at all. I don't suggest leading your life this way. Some people do that. They try to do that. But uh, they get Balaam answers and things like that. So you, you want to not have any idols in your life. You want just want the will of God, right? So this should be used for confirmations of what you believe God is saying to you. Amen. Well, that might have been gambling to some people, but it wasn't to the Israelites. They believed in the sovereignty of God. And they believed God would answer that way. And He did. He did consistently. Even to the extent of finding one man out of all Israel. And that happened quite a few times. And Saul was picked that way. 1 Samuel 10 and 21. Picked one man out of all Israel. That's patience. I mean, you know, going to going through the tribes, let's see, this tribe, that tribe, you know, and narrowing it down, the family, and then narrowing it down, so on and so forth. Saul's son was picked out that way when he made a mistake with eating the honey. You remember? 1 Samuel 14 and 32. And Jonathan was, was picked out of all Israel. You know they took the lot by the tribe, then they went to the 
family. Then they went to the house. Then they cast lots several times. But you know what? If you believe in luck, what are the chances of a thing coming out to pick one guy out of all Israel? That's phenomenal. That's a lot of numbers. (laughs) But God is sovereign. Well, it can be done in our day, like I said, with a quarter. I don't recommend that people lead their lives that way, but uh, I have seen mighty miracles come to pass that way. I saw one guy throw a handful of quarters up against a curtain, and he was believing God for an answer. When they hit the curtain, they fell down, and they stacked up neatly in a pile at the bottom of the curtain. Oh, my. (laughs) He was convinced. I was convinced. I've seen mighty miracles come to pass that way, where the answer had to be from God. It had to be. But I'm just pointing out that there's no such thing as luck. The world believes in luck and chance, but everything that comes to you is by the hand of God. Even if it comes through the hand of the devil, it's still the hand of God. If you remember from reading in the book of Job, there was no luck involved in that book. If you remember from reading the book of Job, there was no luck involved in that. God was sovereign even over the devil, and he's still sovereign even over the devil. God sends the devil against you so that you can whip him real good. Did you know that God will send against you so that you can whip him? So that you can uh, learn how to walk by faith and not by sight? The devil is the one who, in most cases, administers the curse. In most cases, not all. So who sent the curse? The Bible says that God sent the curse. Read Deuteronomy 28 if you don't believe that. If you've listened to prosperity folks deny that, go read it there. He says it over and over. I don't care what men say. The Bible says God sent the curse. So who administers it? The devil does. He loves to do it. It's in his nature to do it. But I'll tell you, God sent the curse, and God sent Jesus to deliver from the curse. That's working from both sides. Why? He's training sons of God. The devil is a good trainer of how to walk as a son of God, as Jesus did, right? So God sent the curse to cause people to repent and turn to Him. He then sent Jesus to those who will repent. And in the circumstances that we get ourselves into, God wants to show us how to give the devil a bloody nose. He wants to show us how to overcome in the circumstances, just like Jesus did. Jesus wants to move through His hand. Isaiah 53 and 10. 
The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Amen. That means God is going to be successful in doing what he did through Jesus. Through you. That's what it means. God is going to do that, and we should consider it done. He did this for Peter. But what was the whole point? You may think there has to be some real reason for this. That you had to be saving souls or something. No, it didn't do anything for Peter to get out of the boat, except he learned a lesson that this is the way to do it. We should ask God to bring us these lessons. It's really valuable to have these lessons that we can look back on and tell to other people and encourage them in the faith and so on. So God wants to do miracles through us. And right now, we have a short time left for learning some lessons from God. We have a short time left for this, and then great trouble is going to come on the world. Greater trouble than this land has ever seen. A people who walk in Psalm 91 type faith and who understand about the curse, those are the people who are going to be saved through the midst of this great trouble and save others by showing them these methods. So a lot of the people are not going to be saved. A lot of Christians, the majority, are going to die through this trouble because the people coming against this land don't like Christians. Not only that, these people are just like the Israelites who went into the wilderness. They were being tested. And tested they were, and they failed quite often. So let's look at the story of the Gerasene demoniac. Luke 8 and 36. And they that saw it told them how that he was possessed with demons, was made whole. Well, the word therefore made whole is the same as saved. It's the Greek word sozo. For Christians, we've been made whole from demons. It's part of sozo. It's by grace. It's not by grace if you will be saved. It says by grace you have been saved through faith. Read it in a good translation like ASV. Ephesians 2 and 8. So it's not a matter of let's see if we can convince God to deliver this person. Jesus never tried to convince God to heal or deliver anybody. By grace have you been saved, healed, and delivered. Sozo's used in all those instances. It's all past tense. So we can know it's already done. 
Now, there are some places where people whom we want to deliver are not in covenant with God. And it's strange, but most of the church does not even believe that Christians can have demons. I'm going to show you that that's not true from the Scriptures. I'm going to show you that it is a lie, and anybody who has discerning of spirits knows that it is a lie because they've seen the demons in people. So, don't ask people who don't know and don't have a gift. I can truthfully tell you almost all of the people that I've ever cast demons out of were Christians. Jesus said, it's the children's bread to have deliverance. When I'm talking discernment of spirits, I'm talking about the biblical gift that is when you see the demons. You see them manifested in their face. You see them manifested in their eyes. You see them uh, in their body. You see them on them or, or whatever. The gift is manifested in different ways, but the discerning of spirits is to be able to see those demons. Word of knowledge can also be given uh, to identify a demon. Anybody who has that gift doesn't buy that garbage about Christians not having demons. And I'll tell you what the Lord showed me about it. Those who don't believe that Christians can have demons, quote, my spirit will not dwell in an unclean temple. But there's no verse like that in the Bible. It's just not there. What the Bible actually says is that the flesh is an unclean temple. Galatians 5 and 19. Did you know that? That's an enemy. It's an enemy with your spirit. It is the enemy of your spirit. Galatians 5 and 17. The covering over of the tent of tabernacles in the wilderness was animal skins. And guess what kind of animal skins they were? Goats. It's the outer court. It's this body, right? Who were the goats. The goats were those who were set on the left while the lambs, the sheep, were on the right. Well, that was goats Hair covering it. Why? Because the flesh is the enemy of God. It's that enmity with God. So the flesh can't go to heaven. The Bible says flesh never goes to heaven. 1 Corinthians 15 and 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you either get a new body or you don't go. You either go in spirit and in soul or you don't go. You either go in spirit and in soul or you don't go because this body doesn't go there. You have to get a new one. The flesh is the enemy of God. God showed me this years ago. 
I had to have a theological reason because I was casting demons out of Christians. And everybody said, you can't do that. (laughs) So I went to God and said, God, show me in the Scriptures. And God brought me back to the tabernacle in the wilderness. And He showed me, as I read about the tabernacle in the wilderness, how it represents us because we are the tabernacle in the wilderness. The Holy of Holies, of course, is your spirit because that's where God dwells. He dwells in your spirit. And then there's the holy place representing your soul. And there's the outer court, which represents your flesh. So what God showed me, I've never forgotten, because I learned what the Christians told me was the difference between oppression and possession. They say that oppression is when the devil is on the outside, and possession is when he's on the inside. But God showed me that that's not true. When we look at the outer court in the wilderness, we see that many wicked men went into the outer court. In fact, wicked men even came near unto the holy place, which is the soul. And some were even killed in the holy place because they went in. But no wickedness ever entered into the holy of holies because the high priest had to be in good shape with God, or he'd better not go into the Holy of Holies. They even tied a rope onto the foot of the high priest so that if he went in and he wasn't walking in right covenant with God, uh, they could drag out his body. They weren't going in after the high priest because you'd be smitten dead. And if you didn't walk in right covenant with God. The tabernacle in the wilderness represents a Christian because God's Almighty, God Almighty dwells in the Holy of Holies. We have examples in the scriptures of wickedness coming into both the outer court and the holy place, but not into the Holy of Holies. God was showing me that in your Holy of Holies dwells the Spirit of God. And only Jesus, who is the high priest, can go in there. And by the way, ministers don't have the right to get into your Holy of Holies and guide you. They have to stay without. The one who is the head of your being is the Lord, always the Lord. If a minister becomes your head you become a disciple of Him and you, in a way, put Him in your Holy of Holies and He's become an idol. So that's the danger for Him and you because then He's between you and God. Remember from our example that wickedness did enter into both the outer court and the holy place. Now, here's what the Lord showed me about oppression and possession. Did you know that God seeks to possess you? He just comes from a different direction. That's all. 
He comes from your spirit seeking to possess your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's your walk. But the demons come in through the flesh, and they also seek to possess your soul. They want to come into the holy place. They want to rule in the holy place. Because that's the control over your actions. So they want to take control over your life. But the fallacy of the view that the worldly church gives us is that oppression is without possession. It is within. Oppression is without, they think, and possession is only within. However, the demons can dwell in your flesh And as long as they're just in the flesh, but not in the holy place, not in the soul, they're still in. They're just not in possession. Possession is when they reach into your soul. If you watch people who are demon-possessed, you'll see this happen. One moment they'll be totally normal, but don't think that the demon has left, right? He hasn't left. He's still there. He had this experience with Christians. I've had this experience with Christians. Everybody who is led by the flesh is not led by the Holy Spirit. And there can be Spirit-filled Christians who are led by the flesh. The flesh is made in the image of the devil. And you're manifesting a son of the devil. If you walk after the flesh, but here's the point. If you walk after the flesh, you're opening yourself up to let the devil in. You're the one who either permits or forbids. Matthew 16 and 19, I give you, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So that those demons can't come into your flesh. Notice these were the keys of the kingdom of heaven, of manifesting the powers of the kingdom of heaven. And you can bind them or you can loose them. If you give in to some sin, but what they want to do is to reach into your soul. Your soul is your nature. It is your mind, will, and emotions. And when they take over your mind, will, and emotions, you know something's wrong. Okay? They have not, they're not hiding anymore, but they're still in there. It's the controlling factor of your natural life. When demons reach into a person's soul, that's when everybody says that a person is possessed. But you know what? They can back out of the soul and into the flesh, and the person will be relatively normal. They'll still be there in the flesh. And then they'll come in again, and they'll manifest, and they'll back out. If you cast out demons, you hear demons step forward and speak 
and you hear them back, you listen and they go back. I've told them to speak in the name of Jesus and had them speak. And then they'll come in again to your soul and they'll manifest in your mind, will, and in your emotions and they'll back out. We've seen people who look totally normal and then all of a sudden, when you're right in the middle of preaching the gospel, demons manifest in these people and they start crying out, Why? Why were they there all the time? Right? Yes, they were there all the time. Did they leave the person? They never even left the person. They were there all the time. So you can be oppressed as long as the demon is in the flesh. But when he reaches into your soul, then it is possession because he's possessing your mind, will, and your emotions. Who has the right to have demons cast out? Well, let me give you a few examples. First of all, what we have in the New Testament is Jesus dealing with His covenant people, which was Israel. Who is His covenant people today? It's Christians. Oh. So that was the type and the shadow of what God does today. Jesus was dealing with covenant people. He even said, I was not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 15 and 24. So who was he casting the demons out? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who was he dealing with when he cast out demons? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. When the pagans came, such as in the instance of the Syrophoenician woman, then Jesus said, "Is it not meat to take the? It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs." Matthew fifteen and twenty six. See, well, he wasn't wrong in that at all. It was the children's bread to get deliverance and healing, and it was proved in this text. Well, what was he talking about? He was saying that the lost have no right. No legal right to God's provision. Now follow me, okay? The biggest proof to me is my experience. The only time God ever let me cast demons out of lost people, I had to get permission to do it. Because you leave that person and seven more can come right back into them. You have to have permission to do it because you can destroy someone by casting demons out of them. The Bible even says that they'll come back with seven worse. Luke 11 and 26. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Now this is also true of Christians who don't continue to walk in the Spirit. When they walk in the flesh, the demons can come back. So casting demons out of lost people is not good business unless you have God's permission, since they have no right to God's provision. God's provision of deliverance and healing and other blessing is for covenant people. We are covenant people. They are not. They have no right to it. Don't try to give God's pearls to swine. 
Matthew 7 and 6. They have no right to it. Now, now hold on. I know your objections, and I'm going to share that with you. I'm going to prove it to you now from Scripture. Mark 7 and 25. But straightway a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, having heard of him, came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by race. And she besought him that he would cast forth the demon out of her daughter. And he said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it's not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Was he right? He was right. But he was also testing her. So he's calling casting out demons the children's bread. It's not for the world. No, it's for the children. Now, not only did this woman's daughter have a demon, she also had a spirit of infirmity. We know this from the same story in Matthew 15 and 8 and 28. And her daughter was healed from that hour. So her daughter was healed at the same time that Jesus cast out the demon. The children's bread is deliverance from demons and healing in the body and all these things. Why? Jesus said that his body is our bread. Where there are there were there any demons in Jesus' body? Was there any sickness in Jesus' body? The reconciliation was that he gave his body for your body. See, we have a right to have a holy, delivered body. We have a right to this. The world does not have this right. Did I say they won't get it? No. Follow me. Mark 7 and 26, And she besought him that he would cast forth a demon out of her daughter. And he said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it's not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. But she answered and said unto him, Yea, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. <laughs> and he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the demon is gone out of thy daughter. And she went away unto her house and found the child laid upon the bed and the demon gone out. And in Matthew it says that she was healed. So it was a spirit of infirmity. It's still a demon, but it's a demon that causes sickness and infirmity. So we can see as a revelation from this example by Jesus that someone who is a Jew according to the flesh is not necessarily a Jew according to this new covenant. Jews in this new covenant are those who walk in the faith of Abraham, as we're told. You can't recognize the Jew according to the flesh anymore. It's whether they are a believer or not. It's according to your faith or your unbelief as to whether you're grafted in or broken off, according to Romans chapter 11. Totally according to your faith. If you have faith, 
you're a child. You have a right to the children's bread. There are those that display religion. They have no faith. They don't know how to exercise faith, believing they have received, and they're just playing church. But the world has no right to the children's bread because they are not in covenant with God. Our part of the covenant is faith. God's part is supply. We enter into it by faith, and God enters into it with supply. It's kind of a lopsided covenant, but that's the way He designed it. We got a good deal, and that's why it's called the good news. So I'll I'll show you a few more verses so that we can see that this is the covenant people or the world who's getting healed and delivered here. Now, again, I say they have no right. The lost people have no legal, scriptural right to healing. But that doesn't mean they won't get it. The Syrophoenician got it. The rules changed when Jesus came. She proved herself a believer. And that a lot of Jews proved that they weren't believers. And it's the same with the Christians today. A lot of Christians are proving that they're not believers. When somebody who's even read about it in a book or seen somebody heal somebody would go up and ask for a healing and make comments of faith. Have you ever seen them do that? I have. I knew they weren't born again. Let me show you a few more verses and we can see if this is the covenant people or the world who's getting healed and delivered. Now remember what Jesus believed. He showed you his doctrine that he didn't come to the lost people. He came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew fifteen twenty four. Why did he call them the lost sheep of the house of Israel? He called them that because like sheep, Israel had gone astray. He wasn't talking about the world there. And just like sheep, Israel in this day has gone astray. That's talking about the Israelites who are the Christians, right? The Lord told me one time, I sent you to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wasn't talking about physical Israel. He was talking about spiritual Israel, the lost sheep, because they are lambs who have lost their way. The way is the word. In fact, in the book of Acts, they called it the way. Acts 9 and 2, 19 and 9, 23, 22 and 4, 24, 14 and 22. He called it the way. It is a way. We're supposed to be walking in the way. And that doesn't mean in the way of God. It means in the way of God. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't want to stand in God's way, but we want to be in His way, following in His steps. And Matthew 8 and 16 says, And when even was come, they brought unto Him many possessed with demons, and He cast out the spirits with the word. So Matthew's talking about the children here and healed and he healed all that were sick, it says. Matthew eight and seventeen. 
that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our diseases. He didn't say the world's infirmities. He said our infirmities and bear our diseases. Who has a right to deliverance from demons and who has a right to healing? We do. They do not. In fact, you don't have a right to give it to them except by permission of God. I have asked God and received permission to cast demons out of lost people. Why did that recently? Uh, I did that recently in this house. Uh, God does give permission, but He doesn't have to. And here's the difference. God has to give deliverance to somebody who's in covenant because the Bible says it, and he'd be a liar if he didn't. He has to give all the promises of God. The Bible says all the promises of God are yes, Second Corinthians 1 and 20. For how many soever be the promises of God, in him is the yes, and wherefore also through him is the amen unto the glory of God through us. So I don't care when others say sometimes God says no, but if it's concerning a promise, he says yes, it just said so. However many be, the promise is yes. So there's no promise in the Bible for deliverance for the world from a demon. Even though we can ask God, and he might give permission, especially when they are affecting your life or another Christian's life. That's totally mercy. But we have a guaranteed right of deliverance. We who are in covenant with God, we have a guaranteed right. Well, what puts you in, in covenant with God? Faith. What does the Syrophoenician woman have? Faith. What did the centurion have? Faith. Hmm. So the Bible says, by his stripes you were healed. 1 Peter 2.24 It's not even a matter of convincing God. It's, it's an accomplished fact on the cross. It's not as though God is going to change his mind. It's an accomplished fact on the cross that we were delivered. So who's he casting these demons out of here? That he says is a fulfillment through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53 and 4. If it's a fulfillment of him taking away our infirmities, then he's talking about deliverance of covenant people. Let me give you another verse. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he limited them specifically to where they were to go. Evangelization is to the world. But we're not talking about evangelization here. We're talking about dealing with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Evangelization is to the lost. And if they believe you, they can have all the covenant benefits right there in front of you. The Syrophoenician woman believed. Some people call it an intertestamental place between two covenants. I disagree. When Jesus spoke it, it became a covenant. 
And it started right there after John the Baptist, who was an Old Testament prophet and the greatest. Right? So these twelve Jesus sent forth and charged them, saying, Go not in any way of the Gentiles, and enter not into any city of the Samaritans. But you know what? Down the road, just a short way, Samaritans started believing the Word of God and showed the Gentiles. And then they started going to them when they saw that they were beginning to believe the Word of God. Samaritans were half-breeds. He's cutting out the half-breeds here. Or a Samaritan can also be a pagan who's acting like a Christian because of how Samaria was populated. It was populated when God took away the northern ten tribes and and took them into bondage because of their rebellion and unbelief. They lost their covenant. And it was repopulated, the area, with pagans. So they took them out, put the others in there. And that's 2 Kings 17, 24. And when the pagans in Samaria started dying because of the curses of the land, 2 Kings 17, 25, the prophet said, well, it's because they don't know the God of the land. So then they brought Israelites in there to train these pagans about the God of the land. 2 Kings 17, 27. And that means... In amongst the people of God, there are some half-breeds. They've been trained in Christianity. They know all the lingo, but they're still pagans according to nature. Yeah. I'm not saying God can't heal them. I'm just saying they're not Jews or Christians by nature. We need to have discernment and uh, pay attention to what Jesus said. I've had the Lord tell me, don't lay hands on that person for healing. I've had him tell me, and I thought that they were Christians. But God said, just don't do it. I don't know whether it was because they were in willful disobedience and they couldn't be healed because they were in rebellion against God or whether they weren't in covenant with God. Well, usually when you're in willful disobedience, you don't have any faith, so you're breaking the covenant right there. I don't know. I don't have all the answers, but I just know that God has told me not to do that before. But God has healed non-believers, and He does it for evangelistic reasons. What I'm saying is there's a difference, though. The difference is you have no promise, and there's no guarantee for that. You have to be led of the Spirit. But as a Christian walking by faith in God, repent, repented up of your sins and so on and so forth, you're guaranteed to be healed if you will stay in covenant by faith. Every one of us has to stay in covenant by our faith. That's what keeps us in covenant with God. If you don't have faith, you can't have that part of the covenant. It doesn't matter that you're saved in another part. If you have sozo over here, and it doesn't mean that you have sozo over there. The covenant is very big, and the sozo is very big. But you might be able to enter into only parts of it because of your faith. We enter into as much as we can receive through our faith. 
Matthew 10 and 5 says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and charged them, saying, Go not in any way of the Gentiles, and enter not into the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast a clean, <laughs> yeah, raise the dead, clean the lepers, <laughs> cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. He was saying, cast the demons out, but only cast the demons out of Israel. They have to be first because of the covenant. We have another good example from Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 5 and 1. It is actually reported that there is fornication among you. Such fornication is not even among the Gentiles, that one of you hath his father's wife. For I, for verily, uh, being absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already, as though I were present, judged him that hath done so this thing. So in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you being gathered together and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So Paul turned this man over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh. He used the devil to chasten this guy to bring him to repentance. So you're probably going to waste a lot of breath trying to deliver that guy unless he repents, right? So ask the Lord if you should cast demons out of this person or that person, but you know you're sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You don't know that you're sent to all of the Gentiles. When God does that, it's usually because there's a revival starting among the Gentiles, and they're believing. Amen. Okay, God bless you and keep you. Went a little over, but that's okay. Uh, we'll we'll get away with it. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you, and have an awesome next week in Jesus' name. Amen. Can quench my thirsting soul. Purest water made me whole. Let your streams of Mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. darkest night what will be my guiding light the shining rays of red and white Jesus I trust in you sacred heart in you I find mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine oh Jesus I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus.
Trust in.